So Dante, in the Divine Comedy, wrote, The greatest gift which God in his bounty bestowed in creating, and the most conformed to his own goodness, and that which he prizes the most was the freedom of the will, with which the creatures that have intelligence, they all and they all alone were and are endowed. Our greatest gift, according to Dante, is our freedom of will, our freedom to choose, our ability to make choices, um, to look at what is before us and decide which path I'm going to take. And I'm sure, as most of you know, life is filled with lots and lots and lots of choices. Every day we make choices. Sometimes it's something very simple as, you know, today I'm going to eat this instead of this. And sometimes it's, I'm going to major in political science instead of religion. Uh, we make choices all the time in our lives. And a lot of times when we think about choices, we think about oh, I have to make the right choice and not the wrong choice, as if all choices were this two-sided thing, as if there's only two options. Uh, but if anything I've learned in my life about choices is very rarely is there just two options. And oftentimes it's not even as clear as there's the right choice and the wrong choice. Oftentimes there's many choices. There's, of course, there's the right and wrong, but inside that right and wrong there's option one, two, three, and four, and on the other side there's option five, six, seven, and eight, and you've got to try and sort through and figure out which one's the right one. Isn't that awesome? Isn't making choices great? Isn't freedom great? Because, you know, that's what freedom is. Freedom is having the ability to make the choices, right? Don't you want to make all the choices? I remember when I first got to college that uh, I was so excited because my parents weren't there to tell me what to do anymore. I had complete freedom. I could do whatever I want and that meant uh, for the most part I wasn't being bugged about staying up late or not doing my homework when my mom wanted me to or not uh, doing this or that. I didn't have to pick up my room. I didn't have to make my bed. It, I mean I didn't really have too many big choices in life at that point. but. I felt like I had freedom, and then the other freedoms began to kick in, you know, like the freedom of, okay, so I'm in school now, I'm studying political science, um, I'm going to be a lawyer, I have to decide, is that what I want to do with my, the rest of my life? Do I want to chart this course that's going to take me to law school, that's going to take me to making plans for the next who knows how many years? Am I going to take out loans? Am I going to, how am I going to do this? What is the right way to do this? Oh my gosh, maybe I don't want freedom. Maybe I don't want to have to decide. In, in kind of contemplating all of this in the scripture today, I came up with this thought, and that is that freedom is really great until what your freedom uh, in your freedom, you choose something I don't want you to choose, or I have to decide. Because, you know, making decisions has consequences. Maybe we'll say not even just consequences, but has uh, the opposite, or we ha it has a reaction to it. I want to give you guys uh, some uh, interesting factoids I found about decisions that people made. Um, in history that may or may not have any real uh, 
may not have seemed like big significant things at the time, but uh, take for example, NASA has no tapes from the original moon landing because they may have accidentally recorded over them at a time when they were running short on tape. And so, well, we have, of course, the, the media recordings from, uh, from that day that the news have, and we have archive copies of these things. The actual tapes that were there uh, with the Apollo 11 astronauts are gone, at least as far as we can tell. Uh, so someone decided at some point, the Apollo 11 tapes, that's okay to record over, right? I mean, we need a tape, and it's just sitting there. How about this? It took 177 years to build the Tower of Pisa, and only 10 for it to start leaning. Okay, that's not necessarily a choice. I mean, I'm sure they didn't plan for it to lean, and you know, if you know anything about the geography of that area, it was more about everything there leaned, so maybe that's not a choice, but it's still a result. But how about this one? Uh, they decided not to have enough lifeboats on the Titanic because obviously it was unsinkable. That one didn't turn out so well. Or in a slightly, maybe not uh, consequential in the long run for any people, but Decca Records turned down the Beatles because they said they weren't sellable. The Beatles. Or this is one of my favorites actually. NASA lost the Mars orbiter in part because half the team was using the metric system and the other half was using the English system. And so they lost. Um, uh, or if you are a student of history, think about the great leaders like Napoleon. Napoleon thought it was a good idea to invade Russia in winter. Should add, so did Hitler. And on both accounts, that turned out not so well. Or how about the Persians sending Genghis Khan's ambassadors back to Genghis Khan without a head, which then brought down the, the wrath of the Mongolians on them. Or how about this? Uh, Russia sold Alaska to the US for two cents an acre because they thought it was useless tundra. Or how about assassinating Caesar in order to save the Republic and not realizing that the assassination would only ensue, or ensure its demise? Or how about in 1788 when the Austrian army accidentally attacked itself and lost 10,000 soldiers? Life has some pretty big decisions. Some of these are huge decisions that greatly affected many people's lives. Some of them, like, you know, not picking the Beatles. Well, I'm sure it was consequential for that company, but eh, in the end of the day, the Beatles still made it. So maybe the consequences weren't so bad. But my point in sharing all of these is just to kind of point out how we make choices all the time, and sometimes it's little things, and I'm sure the person who decided against the Beatles was going through and like, eh, I just don't get it. This is in the no pile. It wasn't necessarily something they spent hours agonizing over. Oh my gosh, are the Beatles going to be the greatest band of all time? Choices are hard. Choices are even harder when we start thinking about consequences.
And that's kind of what our text is about today. Moses is laying before the people a choice. And at first, if you listen to it, it sounds a little harsh. He says, choose life and don't mess this up. Don't mess it up. We have a good thing coming. And by the way, if you do mess it up, it's the generations that are coming behind you that are really counting on you not to. Because, you know, God promised us to be a nation, a great nation, a new, more numerous than the stars. God has made this promise to us, and we are here. We are at the edge of the promised land. Because that's when this is happening. This is Moses' farewell address to the Israelites. And um, if you don't know the story, Moses wasn't allowed to go into the promised land uh, because of some of the choices he made. And so he's standing here in front of the Israelites. They're about to go into the promised land where they've been hoping and praying for and waiting for for years and years and years, waiting as they wandered nomadically in the desert, wandered, wondering when they would finally come to this place that God had promised them, this land of Abraham that had been promised to their ancestors. When are they going to be there? They've left Egypt behind. They are no longer enslaved, but they're not quite a people yet because they're still just this mass of, well, they're a people, but they're not a people with a land. There's still this people just wandering and wondering and waiting, following a cloud of uh, a cloud of uh, fire and smoke, a cloud that has God directing them, saying, "This guys, go this way, go this way, go this way. And they're waiting for this day when they get to finally enter the promised land. Generations later. And Moses, who's not going to be able to go, is giving his farewell address. And I actually don't think Moses was trying to be harsh with them. I actually think he was like, We've come so far. Do you remember where we were? Do you remember being in Egypt? Do you remember being slaves? Do you remember how God carried us from the land of Egypt, from the bondage of slavery? Do you remember God has rescued us? And do you remember even back further than that, God promised that we would be a people and we would have a land. And we're there. We're about to go in. You guys are going to have a lot of choices in front of you. You get a lot of choices now. And I'm not going to be there to help you make those choices. You're going to have new leaders and they're going to be calling on you to do the things that God has commanded you. you we've been, this entire book actually is all a book of law. This and this final uh, speech by Moses, this farewell speech, is him saying, we've, given, we've been given the instructions. God's told us how to live. God's given us the principles to base our lives on. Now go out and just do it. Don't forget where we've come from. Don't forget how we've gotten here. Don't turn to the ways of the land and turn to idols, turn to the things that are not of God because God is one who has got us here. And I also think Moses isn't necessarily saying that if you don't follow God's way, God's going to smite you. It's more of a basic principle that God knows way more than I do. And God has laid out a way that we can walk that is better. 
It's not that God wants to punish the Israelites. It's that God is literally saying, follow my way or follow the other way. And if you follow the other way, you're free to do that. You are absolutely allowed because you have freedom of will. You can do whatever you want. But if you go this way, there's going to be consequences. Not because I'm going to punish you, but because going down this way is not a good way. There's things there that aren't good for you. You're going to run into people and places and opportunities that you don't want to be in. Don't turn away from God. Choose life. Choose life. And I believe God is placing this before us because God isn't wanting just blind loyalty. If you think back to what humanity is, this creation that God has, why did God create us in the beginning anyway? It wasn't to have a bunch of automatons who just said, God, I love you, whatever you say. God wanted something more from us. God wants relationship with us. God wants to be in relationship with us. God wants our love as much as God wants to love us. And you don't get that when you force it. I was watching Harry Potter just a, a couple weekends ago, and they had the, it was the one about um, where they're talking about the love potion. And they're talking about you can't have an absolute love potion because you can't make someone love you. You can make someone infatuated for you, but you can't make someone love you. And that's true with us and God. God's not looking to make us love God. God wants us to freely and openly embrace God's love. And so God is calling us to choose a different way. And in, in this particular passage, they're talking more directly about not choosing idols, like actual other gods, the gods of Canaan, the gods of the other land. But... For us, what does that mean? I mean, there's obviously other uh, faith traditions out there, but I don't think that's exactly what this is talking about. I think in this sense, it's saying that we can divide ourselves when we idolize something. So what are the idols in your life? What are the idols that um, draw you away from God because an idol is really anything that takes the place of God or consumes a majority of our time. And this one's a challenging one on a college campus because I know how easy it is to get caught up in your schoolwork. Um, is your schoolwork an idol? Is that the most important thing in your life? It could be a relationship. It could be work. It could be a hobby. It could be TV. It could be computers or video games. Um, one of our favorites is these. <laughs> How many of you, every time you stop in a line and you're waiting, the first thing you do is go, huh, what's on Facebook? What's on uh, Snapchat? Who's got the latest picture on Instagram? How many of us, our first thing to do is go to our phones? Idol worship isn't exactly like I'm bowing down to my phone, but it's when it becomes something that takes up more of my time. It's when we get distracted from God. And so Moses is calling the people not to choose idols, but to choose God, to be focused on God. And Moses is 
really calling us to that as well, because that's still just as good advice as it was back then today. How are we focused on God, on our faith, on our community, on the things that were, are important to us? Because I want to be clear, being focused on God doesn't mean just sitting and praying all day. There are all kinds of ways we worship God. In fact, worship doesn't just happen in this space or in any of the spaces we go to have worship in. Worship happens uh, a lot of times in all of our daily lives. Sometimes it happens in the small acts of kindness that we offer to a stranger. Sometimes it happens in the places where we go and we can um, speak out and speak for justice and for the dignity and worth of all people. Sometimes it happens when you do those little things like um, thinking of all the little things that happen in my life. <laughs> Think about the summer I spent um, working uh, with the Freedom School with the Children's Defense Fund, um, teaching kids a love of reading. Not teaching them to read, but just to love reading, offering them books, offering them food. When, when we participate in things like that, that is part of what it means to focus on our faith. So it doesn't just mean reading your Bible, though that's important. It doesn't mean just coming to worship, though that's important. It doesn't mean just praying, though that's important. It means finding a way to focus on what is God. And when we do that, that's when we have a stronger connection. And sometimes that's what makes the decision-making easier. I'm not going to say easy, because I don't think decisions, especially big ones, are ever easy. Uh, especially when there's more than one right answer. I think about when I decided to come to D.C., which clearly has worked out for me. Uh, when I moved up here for seminary, I literally I sold um, most of the furniture I owned, because I was going to move into the dorm at Wesley, and I packed up my clothes and my books and I put it in my car, and I drove to Washington, D.C., and the largest place I'd ever lived was a town of 60,000 people. And I moved to this big city, never having lived north of Georgia. <laughs> I moved up here more or less on a whim, because I could have gone to the seminary in Georgia. There was another one I was looking at. That was just a good an option. There was one in North Carolina that I didn't really consider, but uh, Rick considered, and you know, he, that's where he went to seminary. <laughs> All of those were right choices. There, none of them were wrong. I would say, I think this was the more right choice for me. I think that God was leading me here, and I think part of uh, my process in trying to figure out what was right and wrong was trying to be in tune with God. Where am I best going to fit? Where am I best going to be able to, um, to serve you? How am I best going to be able to figure out who I am? Because, by the way, at that point in my life, while I was pursuing this seminary thing, I wasn't entirely certain I wanted to be a pastor. I wasn't entirely certain I wanted to get up on Sunday mornings and, or Sunday evenings, as you will, and, and preach. And I didn't know if actually I had the gifts and graces to do that. The idea of writing a sermon every week and having something to say was hugely intimidating. And so I was not certain, even as I came up here and moved, but I made this decision because I felt like this is where God was calling me. And all that's to say that if I had gone to Candler School of Theology in Atlanta, or if I had gone to Duke, 
I'm sure I would have gotten a good education. I'm sure I would have began my clergy process. I'm now certain that I would have ended up finding my way into ministry uh, as a pastor somehow. So choices. <laughs> choices, choices, choices. I think the one unifying theme about all those choices, though, is they were all choosing life. I was really trying to find the way of God. I did have another choice, by the way, which was I was working on a cruise ship at the time um, in the kids program, and I was guaranteed another contract if I wanted it. Uh, I was almost guaranteed a promotion as well, and I could have kept doing that, and I could have been like Jonah, uh, which Rick can tell you all about because he just led a Bible study on it, or maybe Emma Claire because she said she was there. Uh, <laughs> I could have been like Jonah and I could have chosen to go another way and try and run from my calling, but I have a feeling that even if I had tried to run, God would have continually called me back. Because the other thing I want you to hear tonight when I talk about choices um, and this freedom that we have, we always have freedom. But when God is calling you somewhere, when God is calling you to do something, and that doesn't just mean to be a pastor, God calls everyone to do all kinds of things in all different ways. We're all called in our own lives to use the gifts that we have to make the world a better place, to make the world for our neighbors a better place. Uh, and so when I talk about uh, that calling, God continues to call us. You know, I, I'm sure I have it all figured out now. And while I'll tell you that my call to ministry came in 2008, some of me wonders, was I not seeing the signs when I was in college? When I really loved being a part of the youth group that I helped out with, being in leadership at my Wesley Foundation. I was, the, I was a church nerd even back then. I mean, <laughs> it kind of makes sense if you know my whole story. This calling to be a pastor, to love people, to share God's love with others, to say that there's no one that's uh, outside of God's love and that I especially want to make sure those who have maybe felt um, others tell them that they're not welcome, that they're not loved because of who they are or how they happen to love or how they might happen to identify. That's my particular call to ministry. And I'm really certain that if I had gone to the cruise ship, God would have kept calling me. I'm certain that God would have kept inviting me, not forcing me, but encouraging me to choose life, to choose this path that is before me, this great path that's led me here. I mean, I, I'm a little biased, but I kind of have the greatest job ever. <laughs> I hang out with you guys and, you know, I preach on Sunday, but I, uh, you know, I, I eat pizza and Oreos. <laughs> that's part of my job. I mean, come on now. I maybe shouldn't eat so much pizza and Oreos. Uh, choices. Choices is freedom. God has given us this gift of freedom, and we are called to live our freedom. And so I want to kind of close this out with this. When we're thinking about how we do that, 
There's lots of different ways. There's no right way to stay close to God and stay connected, but I'll tell you one of the best ways. This community and communities like this. Because one of the other things I know for certain about God is that when we try to go it alone, it's just a lot harder. It's not bad to go it alone, but God invites us to be in community with, with each other. It's what we've been doing since the very beginning of the church. It's why we have communion. We commune with one another. When we gather around the table and have holy communion, God invites us to be in community because this is a place where you can come and uh, I guarantee about six days out of the week, if you stop by here, Emma Claire is going to be sitting in the alcove doing something. And you can say, Emma Claire, I've been thinking about this. What do you think? Or you can go to fellowship time after tonight and be like, I'm thinking about this. What do you think? Or I had this dilemma. I have this question. What do you guys think? And what's even more amazing, and I mean, we're probably not perfect about it, but we try, is to be a place that no matter what the question is, no matter what the concern is, you can come and bring it here, and we're going to be there for you. We're going to support you, and we're going to help you try and find the answer. And if we don't know the answer, because, uh, you know, even sometimes the pastor doesn't know the answer. A lot of the time the pastor doesn't know the answer. Uh, this is a place where we can come and maybe look for the answers together. So freedom. Freedom is a gift. And a free freedom is also this. I'm going to close with this one last thought. Freedom is a break from the past. God invites us to choose life. If you know anything about the Israelites on their journey out of Egypt, well, pretty much almost immediately, they messed up. <laughs> Moses had broke the commandments because the people, while he was up on the mountain, had turned to creating an idol. Almost immediately, they messed up, and God still made covenant with them. God still called them into this relationship. And so the past becomes this thing where it's the past. We don't have to let it hold us back. In fact, God is saying that if you can let go of your past, I already have. So freedom. Freedom is this thing that God invites us to, as wisely as we can, choose life. Amen.